Hello and welcome back to the Library Talks podcast, the Sutton Libraries podcast. And this week we're joined by a fascinating guest, local author Saraswafi Sukumar, who I first met a few weeks ago when filming a video lesson plan that she's created for some Sutton school children as part of the Sutton Steams Ahead programme. And as we got chatting that day, I thought she'd make a really fascinating guest on this show. And uh, and I was pleased to welcome her to the second floor of Sutton Central Library, um, where she brought some really fascinating insights into storytelling and her story in particular, and the differing ways that you um, interpret stories as you get older. She also sent me some additional thoughts um, related to what we talked about after we'd finished recording, so I'll uh, drop those in at the end of this conversation and come back for some more information about Sutton Steams Ahead. But until then, enjoy my conversation with local Sutton author, Saraswafi Sukuma, and I'll talk to you again in a bit. So um, I'm a writer and an actor. And I run um, creative writing workshops for adults, uh, which is based around retelling fairy tales, retelling myths and uh, workshops on magic and witchcraft and that sort of thing. Um, and I've, I mean, I've always loved um, stories. I've loved reading stories or listening to stories. Um, and when I was when I was younger, I... Um, I had all these stories in my head that I wanted to write down, but often I found when I was writing them, the scenes were coming into my head quicker than I could write them down, so I'd lose patience. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, So I didn't know at the time whether, you know, I would go on to be a writer. I really wanted to be a writer, but I didn't have the patience for it. So I thought um, perhaps I could tell stories through acting, um, which is something else that I really, really love. Um, and then when I got into my early 20s, um, I had this idea um, that uh, for uh, a novel that I thought would work really well as a film, but I couldn't write uh, dialogue very, very well. So um, I thought, okay, I'll try and write this as a novel. Started writing it um, and started to really enjoy the process of, of writing at the time. Um, and you kind of mentioned there the ideas coming sort of quicker than you could get them down, I suppose. Yeah. Um, do you feel sometimes that, obviously, you know, there's your, you're putting, you're sort of expressing it in your way, but is there an element of the story kind of almost telling itself and you're just kind of there to try and control it and, and tell yes, it? Yes, I'm there to sort of channel it. Yeah, I guess. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, I guess I'm sort of like, it, it sort of feels like, oh, I'm the goddess of this, yeah. whatever world <laughs> yeah. it is that. Um, is being created in my head Um, and it's a lot of fun it's a lot of fun I suppose that's one of the differences between writing a novel and writing a screenplay as well like you mentioned one of them being the the focus on dialogue but also it's kind of everything in that world rather than it being a sort of direction for someone later on to 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 kind of bring to life you're the only person that's actually putting life into it absolutely so it's, it's also you know building building that world, building the um, the landscape, um, building the systems within that within that world as well. Um, 
Is that something you worry about? Uh, kind of in the worlds that you've created, do you find yourself going, hang on, would would this happen in this world? Does this make sense in the world that I've created? Or do you kind of let, do you take liberties with that a bit? Because I know it's something now people are quite, certainly online, people are very quick to point out in films and books when something doesn't quite when make sense. When it doesn't work, in, yeah. In the universe that's being created. Is that something you are mindful of? Um, I think it's something that I will be mindful of once I've gotten past writing the first draft. Mm-hmm. Um, so in the so I'm writing two novels at the moment. Um, and I think the advice that I've been given is just put everything that's in your head, just put it down on paper. Um, and then you can worry about sorting it out later. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, it is something that I think about. And I think it's something that I'll try and worry about later. Yes, probably not a problem for now. <laughs> um, what is it about uh, kind of... Leg- myths and legends I guess that you're drawn to do you think um, I think it's it's the possibility that these things could exist mm-hmm. um, the idea that magic could exist um, when I was growing up it was these were things that I loved to escape into because um, I had a, a little bit of a challenging childhood um, moved countries. I moved from here to India, mm-hmm. and that was a big culture shock. Yeah, I bet. Um, and I've also, as I mentioned to you earlier, I um, I suffer from social anxiety as mm-hmm. well. Um, so for me, these worlds kind of they give people like me more power, um, and I think that's why I enjoy them. Mm. If that can be a kind of escape as well, then is there also an element now if you, w- the, in what you're writing you can kind of address or kind of make sense of those things in a more direct way rather than sort of escaping them? Or is, is writing a, an escape as well? Um, I think it's a bit of both. It's, it's definitely an escape. Um, but I do address uh, things like feeling like my voice is being taken away. Mm-hmm. Um, so I address things like that with my main characters. Is there a particular kind of every culture and country, I suppose, has its own set of kind of myths or legends or whatever it might be? Is there a particular culture or nation whose myths you're particularly drawn to or interested in? Uh, probably my own. Uh, so I, uh, my family come from India. Mm-hmm. Um, and I grew up listening to um, stories. My granddad would tell me stories uh, from our two great epics, which are the uh, Ramayana and the Mahabharata. Mm-hmm. Um, and often in these stories, you'd see the male characters having a lot of power. I remember growing up, I always wanted to be the male characters, but I never wanted to be the female characters. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I want to draw from that but I want to give the female characters more agency yeah in my stories okay um can you tell us anything about the novels that you are writing at this stage uh yeah so uh one of the novels that I'm writing is a retelling of Snow White um with a uh, I guess an Indian or a brown character as the main character in the novel um, and it will be, I'll be drawing from 
parts of the Grimm Brothers tale um, as well as parts of my own Indian mythology mm-hmm. and sort of weaving them in together mm-hmm. okay. um, for this novel. Interesting. What are the main differences in the Grimm? Is, it, is, that, a, is that a Grimm's fairy tale, Snow White? Then? Yes. I know, obviously, the differences usually involve kind of a lot more death and violence and stuff. So is that the case <laughs> with Snow White as well? Um, yeah, well, um, interestingly, uh, the, the Grimm brothers... Uh, they're quite they're quite violent as well. They're very yeah. the fairy tales are very violent yeah. and dark, um, and Indian mythology is also okay. very violent and dark. <laughs> um, there are uh, I was reading the Mahabharata and there's literally chapters and chapters on an entire war and describing rivers of blood. Okay. <laughs> like um, so it's very very dark stuff. So yeah. both of them are incredibly dark. Mm. So I don't know what that's going to make my novel. Well, <laughs> interested. I do find it interesting how kind of um, when I look back on stuff I read as a kid or was told as a kid in that vein, I'm kind of shocked by how graphic or violent a lot of it is. Yeah. And just thinking, but that never bothered me at the time. And it ne- it wasn't even a case of I love this because it's so violent. I never It never occurred to me that it was kind of excessively violent. And I'm kind <laughs> yeah. of... I don't know, do you think there's something in children being a lot more kind of, on the one hand, resilient and also being able to understand things a lot more better, a lot better and more comprehensively than they're probably given credit for? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, there, There is this, I guess, this debate on whether, you know, Disney has... S- sanitised. Yeah. Yeah. Severely. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I mean, you take the case of, uh, I think, Cinderella, um, where I think her sisters, so in some versions of the tale, her her sisters have their eyes pecked out and things like that happen at the end. I think the Um, act of them putting on the wrong slipper is quite gruesome as well. Yes, they they chop it off. Chopping their toes off to to fit it into the... Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, it's kind of... It's probably a bigger question than I'm capable of answering, but um, (laughs) I think there's a kind of argument, or was at least, that that they're sort of sanitising it to make it more appropriate for children, but actually they kind of ended up inserting and reinforcing some quite harmful um, stereotypes or kind of positions and roles and structures um, that maybe weren't even there in the original story. So it's not actually a case of protecting kids as much as kind of indoctrinating might be a strong word but kind of yeah. putting ideas into kids heads that are in line with the kind of accepted ways of thinking yeah um, uh, and then I suppose the question is you know what age does it become appropriate to to show them more yeah I never stopped when I was at that age and thought I don't know if this is appropriate yeah. <laughs> but, but now I could sort of clutching my pearls but like I can't believe someone let me read this when I was a child <laughs> um what about the other novel you're working on then is it something completely different or uh yes yeah, so it's it's very different um it's sort of imagining um what the world might be like if we were all living underwater okay interesting <laughs> <laughs> and how is that <laughs> Uh, fish take over the world, yeah. so uh, that's I imagine they'd have, a, have a, a larger role to play. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but it's been really, it's been a lot of fun. Um, 
reading so i've been reading books on fish behavior okay <laughs> so that's interesting. been interesting um are you kind of kind of linking back to what we were just talking about are you quite conscious when you're writing are you quite conscious of the kind of age that you're aiming it at or are you aiming to be quite broad and something that a lot of different age groups could read um i think i mean at the moment i've aimed it at i say aimed it uh, i i don't know whether that's really the the right words to use i say it's a young adult these are young adult novels um but actually i just want to write whatever comes to mind and then um, hopefully the publishers will decide whether it's appropriate yeah. <laughs> or not. Um, but I think nowadays what we have in the young adult section, um, I see books that have content warnings mm-hmm. on the back or just inside. Okay. And what kind of, as a someone who's kind of just starting out, I guess, and trying to get your foot in the door with publishers and things like that, what are the biggest obstacles do you think to that i mean is it a term is it a case of um a world where connections are very important as well as you know some other industries where the people are talking about a lot at the moment that's kind of if you know the right people or your parents know the right people is that true in Mm. um sort of literature as well um i feel like i'm gonna have to find that out (laughs) (laughs) i'm gonna have to find that out um i know it's it's very challenging Mm -hmm. Um, and the first step is is getting that first draft done and then you have to go on to get a literary agent um, and if they don't like your cover letter or your first page or your first sentence that goes in the bin so <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, and I imagine they're they're reading lots and lots of manuscripts so um, I, I think it probably is a case of if you have connections you're <laughs> yeah I imagine it's one of those things that people will kind of people who read these things all day every day probably have got to a point where they feel anyway that they can get a sense of if it's worth it within the first couple of words yeah which (laughs) kind of really puts the focus on that opening I suppose yes that's interesting Um, but the other piece of advice that I was given is that um it's also important as a writer that you're writing other things so whether that's writing short stories or audio plays or scripts, um, that you're doing other things um, in the industry mm-hmm. so that you have more to put on your CV, you have things that will draw a literary agent to you and go, oh, okay, they've done this as well. Yeah, okay, that um, makes sense. Yeah. Uh, well, we had a, someone who works for a publisher on the podcast in the last series and uh, he was telling me, I kind of think off here. Um, some of the manuscripts they get sent in, it's some, some of the most deranged things I've ever heard. So <laughs> I think, uh, yeah, there's a real wide range, and it sounds like you're nowhere near the kind of, you know, the the, the side of that range that they end up kind of. What kind uh, can you give examples? Well, a lot of people who have basically decided that their life story is the greatest story ever told, and everyone needs to hear it. Um, but they've had read, you know, lived sort of relatively mundane lives. Not yeah. that there's anything wrong with that, but so they just go into this really sort of minute detail about things that have happened to them and people that have wronged them, and <laughs> and it's just just kind of ramblings, page after page after page of autobiographical ramblings of a sort of random person. So 
I'm just sort of saying not everything that gets sent in is is gold. So hopefully <laughs> that will that will help. Interesting. <laughs> um, so you mentioned uh, sort of having a diverse range of projects, and you have um, you wrote a radio play. Is that right? Yes. Can you tell that's us a little right. bit about that. Um, so I got very lucky with that actually because um, I was on a writing course. Um, and there was another lady on this course and uh, she runs her own theatre company out in Devon. Um, and she asked me whether I would like to join a project um, which was uh, writing a radio play. So she'd hired uh, three writers and each of us would write our own radio play. Um, and the common theme between them was that they needed to be sort of set in Devon. Mm-hmm. Um, so I then went off and started researching Devon, um, and I found out that, uh, the mythical creature Pixies originated from Devon and Cornwall. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I thought, oh, I would love to, you know, write something about that. Yeah. Um, because I love myth. <laughs> well, yeah, it's <laughs> right in your wheelhouse, it sounds like. <laughs> um, but we were also sort of discussing just general issues in the world um and of course at that time um there was still sort of the aftermath of covid um and the struggles that a lot of people had faced um as you know rules were brought into place um so i started to write a story that was uh, that kind of mirrored the events of covid mm-hmm. but in this pixie world okay. <laughs> Interesting. Did you find it hard? Because I've I've seen kind of various TV programs and even films now that address COVID, and it yeah. really it is really a mixed bag. I find like some of them kind of tease out themes that are kind of fairly universal, yeah. using that as the basis, and some of them are basically immediately dated by the fact that they're basically saying look it's covid and it's like okay well, yeah even <laughs> even at the time you didn't just want to watch people living through covid so yeah. <laughs> is that something you were quite aware of and it, was it difficult to to not just make it very dated immediately um i think i i don't know whether it's because i set it in sort of the pixie world i use yeah. pixies as a character but i think it 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 uses a lot of universal themes um things like so it wasn't um, so instead of COVID, my characters were losing their voices. Mm-hmm. Um, so part of it is also about us, you know, feeling like we're not being heard. Um, there's also the theme of, uh, you know, possibly hidden creatures that humans are destroying without really mm. knowing. Um, so there are a lot of, I think, universal themes uh, within uh, the world that I created. Yeah. Um, but with covid as the sort of the basis of it yeah so um and the the rise in hysteria yeah so that sounds more interesting than pixies just wearing masks and sanitizing their hands constantly no they, <laughs> so instead of masks they have a lip sealant oh, wow, which okay. kind of seals their lips right. shut that's interesting where was that uh broadcast um it was so it was broadcast on um the Exeter Northcott Theatre's uh, website mm-hmm. um, and it's still available to listen to um, I think on SoundCloud. Okay uh, is that 
well did you find that rewarding as a kind of writing exercise um was it did you find it easier harder than writing just fiction and would you want to do it again um i'd absolutely want to do it again um i it was it was a big learning process um so um i i said before that i struggled to write scripts because because it's mainly dialogue focused um and of course this is also dialogue uh focused um so i found that um actually the way that i've written it it it, it worked um and that perhaps it is something that i can do so it gave me more confidence mm. um in being able to write a script um i also had to write work with a um director um and uh ed keep editing the script until you know it was what they wanted um so it was a big uh, learning process and it took several months to do but it was tons of fun i've always found uh i think for a lot of people the idea of writing something kind of for someone else that they're gonna or even with someone else that they're gonna have a lot of kind of input on is quite off-putting but i think in my experience every time i've needed to do that as opposed to just coming up with something completely by myself the end product is almost always a lot better oh yeah <laughs> so, um i feel like you have to kind of get over that hurdle of allowing people to come in and tell you what doesn't work not take it personally and see absolutely. that more voices do usually oh absolutely and even if you do take it personally take it personally in the moment let it settle wake up the next day and then usually you'll see Oh, okay. I can see where yeah. they're coming from. They're actually right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we've been talking on this show recently about um, the Sutton Steams Ahead that's happening this year. Yeah. Uh, can you tell us a bit about how you're involved in that? Um, so I'm currently working on lesson plans for Key Stage 1 and Key Stage 2 students uh, that combines science and creative writing. Um, and uh, what I've done is I've posed the question, what if um, Sutton's bodies of water dried up due to climate change? What would happen to the creatures that live in these waters? Um, and I've devised exercises around this this main topic. That, que that kind of central question about the relationship between art and science, um, is it something you'd considered before? this project or something that is in your work previously um it is it is something i've considered before i um uh, again growing up i hated science like i know it's a very strong word <laughs> but when it came to science and maths i just i never got it mm. um and when i started writing um my my novel about living underwater um i started researching um, scientific topics, reading science journals and, um, you know, things like that, the, the, the world of natural history. And suddenly I realized how science was useful to me in my, um, in my career mm. uh, because I could use it with my creative writing. And suddenly it became so much more interesting. Yeah. Um, and I thought, gosh, I wish they had done something like this when I was growing up. Because yeah. I, I think I would have engaged more with the subject. Yeah, I mean, I feel like I'm definitely at a point in my life where I can't, I can no longer comment on the way things are taught because I have no idea. It's been that, <laughs> it's been long enough since I've been at school and uh, 
conversations I have had with younger people when I've said, oh, well, of course, at school this happens, and they look at me going, it doesn't. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, yeah, I think that's definitely, there was definitely um, something missing when I was at school is that what we saw as the kind of quite dry subjects like maths and science Mm. were taught as very dry um, topics. There was no kind of real attempt to make, to kind of, approach it from a different angle, mm-hmm. give you the same information. Um, the closest we got was in maths when we had to work out the depreciation value of secondhand cars <laughs> for about a week. Um, that was as close as to a, a kind of narrative that we got. Um, I think there's a lot of people that think they just don't get those subjects or they're not inter- interested in those subjects. Um, do you think for a lot of those people it's it is literally just a case of the way they've I been taught it, the way they perceive it? Oh, absolutely. I think it's it's the way that you approach um, approach a topic, um, because not you know again growing up you you don't always know what you want to be when you grow up but some people do, um, so some people are looking at these topics going well I'm never going to use that, mm. um, and I think if you approach it from a different angle, it it could possibly become of more interest um, to these students. Um, depending on on the other things that they are interested in. Mm. Yeah, I mean, that's the classic thing, isn't it? Saying, I'll never need this. And actually, (laughs) well, the majority of the stuff we, you know, when I was at school, we did in science and maths, I was right, I didn't need it. Yeah. (laughs) But because I disengaged on that basis, there are also some basic stuff that I do need that I'm no good at. (laughs) Because we kind of went, yeah, we went straight in with, just very kind of basic stuff aimed at people that wanted to study maths and it was just yeah quite alienating same i um i i worked in an accountancy firm for a few years and um there was there was so much that i so i worked in the uh, tax department filling out people's tax returns and there's so much that i learned from that and i was like again why did we not why was this not included Mm. in our maths classes because this is something real world that we could use. Yeah, actual application. Yeah. To be able to turn around and say, you will need this, so <laughs> yeah. let's do this. Yeah, I mean, like I said, that may have all changed um, because things have changed. And I recently discovered that GCSEs are graded with numbers on that blue. I, I found out about that as well. <laughs> I was like, what is that? <laughs> somebody was making reference to someone I know and saying that they got a, se- got a seven. I was like, I, I don't know what that is. <laughs> I'm sure it's very good though. Um, okay, well, let's move on to your three Desert Island book selections. Okay. Uh, would you like to tell me about your first one? So my first one is called uh, Black Cats and Evil Eyes by Chloe Rhodes. And it's a book of superstitions and their origins. Um, and I thought it would be a good book to take. Um, as I could probably use it to create my own superstitions from, create my own stories from. Mm. And is that a kind of, I don't want to say aimed at again, but is that kind of uh, written for a similar demographic that you're writing for? Um, I don't think so. I think this is written for anyone who's interested in superstitions. Mm -hmm. Um, So you could sort of just dip into it. It's got a list of different superstitions and... um, they're, they're a little bit of history or origins mm, okay. um, so yeah it's sort of a, a mini encyclopedia of 
<laughs> Can you remember any f- any in particular that you're kind of uh, that you found interesting or? Uh, yeah, so there's um, there's one which is uh, you have to tie a knot in a handkerchief in order to ward off evil. Right. Um, and it was thought that um, that a devil would be become like so fascinated by trying to undo the knot that they would forget that they're supposed to uh, right. harm you. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> they're quite single-minded, yeah. evil spirits. Yeah, that checks out. Um, I suppose it's quite actually, we probably think about them in very different ways, but there's kind of a lot of crossover with superstitions and kind of myths and legends I guess in a way and religion yeah yeah I mean it's kind of a more personal expression of I guess the same ideas really in a lot of ways um okay what about your second choice um my second choice was a tough one but I've gone with Pride and Prejudice by Jane Austen a classic classic (laughs) (laughs) um so for me this is more nostalgic Mm -hmm. um my family and I, we often like watching different genres, um, but this was the one thing that we all kind of sat together and watched the BBC version. So the Colin Firth version yep. of Pride and Prejudice. Okay. Um, and after that, I went away and read the book um, and I just found it hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you think there is a particular adaptation that stands out? Do you think it would be that one? Yes. I, I also really loved the Keira Knightley version, mm-hmm. um, which was a film. Um, but I think with the TV series, they were able to show a lot more mm-hmm. um, that they couldn't in the film. And is there any that you saw and thought, no, you've missed the point. <laughs> this isn't what it is. Um, there was a very, very old, I, I can't remember who starred in it. I think it was a black and white version. And I didn't watch it all because I sort of fell asleep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, there's kind of uh, a whole period of British cinema where uh, it became seen globally and then as a result by people in Britain as primarily a sort of heritage medium yeah. and a way to just show nice costumes and old manor <laughs> houses and people being very prim and proper. Um so a lot of the adaptations from that time are very, very dry <laughs> yeah. and were basically made to be sold to American audiences to be like, oh, look how English these people are. Mm, but yeah. Um, yeah, I think modern adaptation, even of the same stories, they're looking at it. How can we interpret this, bearing in mind that we're making it in the 21st century and put some of those ideas yeah. in rather than just sort of lifting it off the page yeah. exactly there is also an indian version of pride and prejudice yes, called is. bride and prejudice yes, so it's course. like indian hollywood version yeah um is that approved yes absolutely <laughs> it's brilliant <laughs> watch it there's also pride and prejudice and zombies oh yeah i haven't seen no, I or haven't. read that yet uh but it is on my to read list i do think that is interesting and it kind of lo- lo- uh, loops back around to talking about myths in a way that there's certain texts that have become so kind of part, so much part of this sort of canon yeah. that they are now the almost they are the myths that are being reworked, re-worked. and I yeah, think that's re-told. very interesting. Um, what about number three then? Um, so with number three, I thought I'd take a chance and take a book that I've never read. Okay, uh, <laughs> I think that's a first. <laughs> um, so 
last year I watched this um, Tamil film um, and it's based on um, a, a novel uh, written by a very well-known Tamil author uh, called Kalki Krishnamurthy. Um, and I loved it so much. So my um, my cousin brought me uh, a, an English translation of a different novel that he's written um, called Parthaban's Dream. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would love to read that. Um, and I believe it's like Indian historical novel. Um, and it's sort of like Game of Thrones meets Indian history. <laughs> Nice. I think that is the first aspirational choice we've had. Uh, something you hope to read one day. Yeah. I mean, I suppose it makes sense if you're stranded to have things that you haven't read before. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of, there's a real kind of, um, maybe not resurgence because it's kind of the first time it's been this accessible, but a real kind of rise in Tamil films, certainly, um, in Britain at the moment. They're starting to get quite wide releases and have a lot of people going to see them and uh i think i think that's really interesting why do you think that is yeah i mean i noticed that uh last year this is the first uh tamil film that i've seen at the cinema mm. ever yeah <laughs> well, i think there was one last year that was the biggest yeah, tamil so film i of think all that time. was the pony and selvan so i i think if that's the one you're talking yeah. about so that's by kalki krishnamurthy okay um big thing yeah um i i don't know maybe it's i think it is just the 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 interest in in indian history um that combined with again myths and legends um because i think that's what these these historical novels do Mm. they they take parts of history and then they romanticize parts of it and um, they include bits of uh, fantasy in it as well. Um, so it kind of appeals to a wider audience. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I think uh, I think the, f- the sort of next film that was released after that one either then became the biggest one ever or the second. Like, they're just... Yeah. Everyone that comes out here seems to be a smash nice. here. It's a very interesting trend. <laughs> Have you ever seen any? I haven't. No, they're kind of... I say they're getting quite wide releases, but they're not so wide that you don't have to sort of seek them out a little bit, yeah. you know. Um, maybe that's just based on where I live, but um, you would have to really kind of find out what, it, you know, you wouldn't... I don't mean there's many places around me where I just wander into the cinema and that's what's playing three times a day. Yeah. Um, I'm curious, though. There's definitely definitely a, a backlog there that I need to, need yeah. to, need to go and watch. Um, so just to kind of start wrapping up then, uh, I do like to ask people about libraries in general and kind of what impact libraries have had on you either personally professionally whatever it might be if any um so what 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 have libraries kind of meant to you um so i mean libraries again have been an escape um i think sutton library is probably the first library that i visited um in my life um, <laughs> my uh, my mum used to bring me here for um, story time oh, wow. down in the kids section. Nice. Um, and I think it's all changed now, but back then they had this. Um, so they'd sort of like cut the floor out. Mm. So imagine like they've cut it out like a swimming pool, um, 
but instead of water, they fill it with kids. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And one of the things I loved doing was going to that section and just running up and down the two stairs (laughs) that went into the pit and out of the pit. (laughs) Um, So there was that. And then um, just, again, growing up and, and borrowing books from the library, first from the kids section, then from the teens section, um, and then coming up here to to study during my GCSEs and A-levels um, and then continuing to borrow books. <laughs> um, so they've been they've been an escape um, uh, and a place where I can build my build my storytelling. And if someone had said to you, then you'll be up there in a few years recording a podcast. <laughs> I've been like, no way. <laughs> Huge thank you to Sarah Swaffy for joining me on the podcast this week. Really enjoyed that conversation. And as I said at the beginning, she got in touch uh, after we'd recorded um, with some extra thoughts on some of the stuff that we discussed, including the idea that we don't give uh, kids basically enough credit for the things that they understand, even at a young age. So over to Sarah Swaffy. Um, so there were definitely things I knew that my parents didn't know I knew things that I would have learnt from other kids at school because we're all raised in different families, we all have different experiences and so we would learn from one another no matter how much my parents tried to shield me from certain things. Um, And when it came to books, I found myself drawn to stories that had this good versus evil theme books that showed that we could overcome something bad, books that were all rainbows and sunshine and happiness were less likely to grip me. Um, But having said that, I found, even as a teenager, a book that had a sad ending. Um, I would find it emotionally difficult to handle. Um, But at the same time, those tended to be the books that I would think about for months and probably even years after I'd read them. They had me asking questions. They had me wanting to change the world so that no one would ever have to face that kind of sadness. Um, Another thought that I had was that, so my favourite genre is fantasy, and I wonder whether the darker themes in that are easier to handle because they are in a fantasy setting, a setting where the impossible becomes possible. Um, I, I also know people who either read or had read to them at the age of five or six, um, the Lord of the Rings trilogy, and that has some very dark themes, scenes, characters and settings. Um, anyway, I think there are so many different things we could talk about, with regards to this topic, but I think ultimately it boils down to each child being different. And so perhaps only the people who are closest to them will know what kind of stories will be right for them. Um, And I think under the guidance of their parents and guardians and teachers, each child should be allowed to explore and discover the stories that grip them the most. And that journey of finding the stories that you enjoy, that can be a really exciting journey. 
And finally, we got some additional thoughts on the current prominence of Tamil films, uh, which is quite interesting. So uh, I'll hand back to Saraswathi. I think I said Pony and Salvin was the only Tamil film I'd seen in the cinema. Um, I meant in a cinema in the UK. Um, I have seen a Tamil film in a cinema in India, uh, but a very, very long time ago. Um, and I also think the reason for the rise in Tamil films in the UK is probably because we have a growing Tamil community. And so there's probably more demand for it. Um, but even if you're not Tamil, I would encourage you to go watch Tamil films. And if you're interested in South Indian history, if you enjoy books like Game of Thrones, then uh, Ponyan and Selvan is one to watch. Thank you again to Sarah Swafi for coming on the show and for those really interesting thoughts. I really enjoyed that conversation. Um, so that's it for another week. We will be back next week with the final episode of this series of the Library Talks podcast. For more information on Sutton Steams Ahead, you can go to sutton.gov.uk or check out any of our social media platforms, Sutton Libraries on Twitter and Instagram and Sutton Libraries London on Facebook. And I'll speak to you next week. <laughs>